this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Lord God, we pray that you would help us to rejoice today, that you help us to give you all the glory and honor that you are due. Uh, Lord, it is our pleasure to be in your presence and to worship you in spirit and truth. What a, an awesome privilege it is. Help us not to waste one moment of it. Just like this song says, Lord, help us to set our hearts and our minds on you, to put away the cares of this world in this next uh, few moments and to focus totally on you and what you have for us. Lord, we thank you and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Please be seated and... Um, if you would fill out one of these uh, connection cards, we would certainly appreciate that. Uh, maybe you're new uh, to our church, and we'd love to know who you are so we could um, send some information to you, can uh, contact you. Uh, for the rest of us, um, there's information there on the back. Maybe you have a prayer request, um, or you want to check a box and learn more about uh, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be baptized, a member of the church. All those questions will We'll be sure to get back with you on that, okay, and answer your questions. Well, today, um, 
as Brother Philip continues in the area of uh, Christ giving gifts to the church, uh, we are going to sing some songs about, about service. And there's one, one of the greatest songs on, on service is this, Take my life and let it be consecrated to you, O Lord. So let's, let's sing this together. saying again. Miss Crosby was such a phenomenal hymn writer, over 8,000 hymns, and did that while, even though she became blind at six weeks old. She wrote this hymn, and it's a hymn that talks about service. It talks about to the work. By the way, 120 years ago when this was written, this was a very common theme to preach and to teach and to sing about believers joining together and serving and working for the Lord. And I'll be honest, not everybody, but many of my contemporaries, as they began to write church music over the last 20 or 30 years, focused more about, okay, God, I'm saved, now make me feel good. And, and there's, nothing, there's no Bible on that. There's Bible on, you've been given gifts, now serve. Amen? And so it, it does us good to, to remember songs like this. Let's, let's sing it together. To the work, to the work, we are servants of God. Let us follow the path that our Savior has
more song I want us to sing about serving the Lord. And uh, one of the benefits of serving the Lord is those who come behind us, our children, our grandchildren, our friends, our co-workers, they, they see a life of, of spiritual fruit, right? And, and they can follow that. And uh, this song was written with that in mind. May those that come behind us find us faithful. sing the verses for you and you stand and sing the chorus when we get there okay we're pilgrims on the journey of the narrow road and those who've gone before us light the way cheering on the faithful encouraging the weary their lives a stirring testament to God's sustaining grace. Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run the race not only for the prize, but as those who've gone before us, let us leave to those behind us a heritage of faithfulness passed on through godly life. Oh, may all who come behind us find us our children sift through all we've left behind. May the clues that they discover and the memories they uncover become the light that leads them to the road we each must find. Oh, may all who come behind us find us
it would not be irrelevant at all uh, to suggest to you that as you're preaching through gifts, uh, we can certainly add in that tomorrow is Valentine's Day. <laughs> right? Uh, I hope you realize that um, a gift can be a token of love. And we realize that. But it can also be a gift with a purpose. I don't know about y'all, but I like a gift with a purpose. Like going to Bass Pro Shop, right? <laughs> I mean, a gift with a purpose, yes. Well, I do want to remind you, this, this verse has been on my heart and mind um, all week when I've thought about love. And just listen to John's epistle, 1 John. Let this sink into your mind and heart as we look at the gifts that God has given the church. Listen to this one. Perhaps, and I could argue, maybe one of the most important verses in the Bible. 1 John 4.10 in this, in this is love. Or another translation, love consists of this. Not that we have loved God. But that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means to turn away the wrath of God by means of an offering. We should stop today and pause and think about how awesome it is to consider God's love. God's love. God, our God, is an acting God. And God in himself, made satisfaction for us to be able to love God. And what a blessing that is. I'm also reminded of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5. Listen to this, verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Do you know how unique that word reconcile is? It's not used anywhere else in the Bible other than Paul using it here in 2 Corinthians, and listen to this. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So pause and think for a moment. The word reconcile means to bring back to peace those who are at enmity with God. And we think from our perspective, that must be God... Removing the enmity that, and the hatred he had toward us because of our sin. But in reality, this word reconcile, the way Paul uses it, is God was able to overcome your enmity against him. That's reconciliation used by Paul here. And that's the reason how that happened is propitiation. Aren't you thankful for the love of the Lord God? So... What a gift of the blessing of eternal life from the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Ephesians 4. That was all free for Valentine's Day, right? <laughs> Ephesians 4. The gifts in Ephesians 4 are given with a utility in mind. They have a function, okay? Uh, it's for the body. There's an operative uh, work based upon the gifts that God is giving and has given to the church. Contextually, remember that we are connected back with Rome, uh, excuse me, with Psalm 68, verse 18. And why is there this connection? Because Christ ascended and he gave. Now think about how serious and how important that is. On his mind and heart, ascending to heaven was to gift his church. It's, it's as if the Father said to the Son, You purchased this church, this body by your blood. Now, give it all the grace and all the gifts that it needs to bring us glory. And that's why he has this in his mind and Paul is giving it to us. So what does the exalted Christ give to his church? He gives people. He not only gives grace, he also gives people. Now, are you ready for this? Everybody ready? He doesn't give ministries to the church. He gives ministers to the church. And we've got a lot of crazy things going on in church life. And I think it's, it's, it's stinky thinking 
Because we don't really think about what we're reading. But notice, he doesn't give ministries per se. He gives ministers. So Christ, as a result of his triumph and exalted lordship, now distributes these gifts to the church. So our God calls, our God equips, our God prepares. He sends ministers of the word to benefit his church. So the focus here now in verse 11 is on the gifts that are designed to help the church grow, to help the church serve, to mature. And these gifts have to do with the ministry of the word of God. Now will there be some overlap between apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, slash teachers? Will there be some overlap? Well, absolutely. Because in many, many ways, the apostles functioned with all of these gifts. Okay? So, please, don't step back away and say, you know what? Pastor's going to be talking about apostles. Irrelevant for today. He's going to talk about prophets. Don't need to think about that today. Don't need to think about evangelists. Please, underscore this. If you're saved, these gifts were given to you. Please, young people, think about this. When it says he sovereignly distributes gifts and the Savior gave it as he ascended into heaven. And remember last week we learned that every believer is gifted by Christ. This week the point is Christ actually gifts leaders to the church. So underscore the principle that God is giving these gifts to you if you're in the body of Christ. Alright? So here's the verse. Chapter 4 verse 11. And he gave... The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For building up the body of Christ. Our goal this morning will be to talk about apostles, prophets, and evangelists. I wanted to do this section in three sermons not gonna happen okay next week I want to talk about pastors slash teachers why because we're at a strategic point in the life of our church with organizational decisions that we need to make regarding elders and deacons so I want us to put our attention next week toward pastor slash teacher if you'll notice your English translation does a really good job here because he gave the apostles And that apostles is led by one article in the Greek. And then so it is with the prophets and the evangelists. But if you'll notice in the ESV it says the shepherds and teachers. You have one article carrying two gifts. And we're going to unpack all that. But for today we're going to deal with the fact that Christ gifts leaders to the church. And we're going to talk about apostles, prophets, and evangelists. If you have a King James Version, uh, maybe the NAS, maybe it will say he gave some of this, some of this, some teachers. And we, we look at that. It's for smoothness of reading. Uh, other translations may say something as strong as, on the one hand, he gave apostles. On the other hand, he gave prophets. But really, I think the ESV does a good job. It should be he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherd teachers. Let's begin with this first category uh, of apostles. So what's listed first? Y'all awake? Apostles. So they're listed because the apostles had a primary role. Remember this is a gift to you. It's a gift to the church. They had primacy in the church and we can think about it like this. They were the first in time and they were also the first in importance. They were, when Paul is giving another list of gifts, we won't turn to it, but 1 Corinthians 12, 28, he actually says, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and etc. What is that implying? That apostles came first. There is a reason for that. Okay, let's talk about five or six things. Maybe seven. I'm not sure how many I wrote down. But, but here's, here's the first thing to think about regarding an apostle. Okay, y'all ready? And you say, well, why do we need this? Because of error. I mean, how many times have you driven down the road and you see Church of the Apostles? Or you 
hear people refer to themselves as an apostle. Is that something they should do biblically today in our day? So first, they were character witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. That was what, number one, had to take place in order for you to be an apostle. You'll remember that when the apostles and disciples gathered in the upper room in Acts 1, they were shy, one apostle. And it almost makes us take a second thought even to think about Judas Iscariot being an apostle. But they're in the upper room and they're dealing with how to identify the next apostle. And they remember they have two and they're praying and seeking the mind of the Lord. But Acts 1.22 gives us this qualification that they had to be an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, they, should, they would have to have seen either Christ resurrect from the dead after he resurrected right then. Or, like Paul being one who was born out of due time, he saw Jesus face to face on the Damascus road. So a distinct role of an apostle is that they were character witnesses of the resurrected Christ. Christ. This becomes a crucial point when Paul's apostleship is being scrutinized by the Corinthian church. Paul says this in chapter 9 verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? So this adds credence to the fact that in the early church there was a prerequisite of being an apostle. And that would be this. Having seen the resurrected Christ. Second, they had to be appointed by Christ to be an authoritative spokesman. What does that mean? Well, clearly, from Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, we could go to all these texts for the sake of time, make you a note, go back and read it, Matthew 10, 1. Jesus takes his disciples together and he appoints 12 apostles. And according to that text, he grants them authority. In other words, this recognition and commission of the apostles, it was not the church who did this. It was Christ himself. Keep that in mind. It was Christ that appointed them. There was a distinction, a uniqueness carried out, not by the church, but by Christ Jesus himself. Christ commissioned the apostles. And this reality is what led Paul to say in 1 Corinthians 15 that he was born out of due season. Paul will say in Galatians 1.1, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through the Lord Jesus Christ, and God the Father, who actually raised Christ from the dead. So again, Paul is making note of not only is there the character witness part of being an apostle, but you are actually commissioned by Christ himself as an authoritative spokesman given directly from God. Third, the apostles would be organs, or we may say vehicles, of infallible and authoritative revelation. Do you remember what happened in the upper room? When Jesus has them all together, you can read this in John 14 through 17 chapters. But in chapter 16 verse 12, he says the Holy Spirit will declare to you the things to come. And most commentators believe that when John uses the term we, he's referring to this apostolic band of people. Let me show you that. Remember we were in 1 John 4 when I started. Maybe you didn't turn there. But listen to this. 1 John 4. Beginning in verse 5, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Verse 6, we, see the note, apostolic band, we are from God. Listen to this, whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So, they were seen as infallible and authoritative revealers of what God was giving them. There was a general recognition that the apostles, when you read the New Testament, they were given from God. They spoke from God. And their word was able to discern that was between, what? Y'all awake? I knew you'd sleep. Truth and error, right? Those things are important, okay? Why? Because the apostles were commissioned. By the Lord Jesus Christ as vehicles of infallible and authoritative revelation. Fourth, they were church-wide authorities for doctrine and life. Did you know that when an apostle spoke in the early church, it settled the matter? 
When they spoke, it settled the matter. In the book of Acts, everywhere the gospel goes, guess who follows? You know, we kind of find that interesting. It looks like somebody from Nashville sends out an SBC representative every time somebody gets saved, right? I'm, I'm joking. But that's kind of what happens here. As soon as the gospel goes to a new area, who, who goes over there? An apostle. They, they do that to validate the work of the Lord. And so that was what happened when the gospel went to Samaria. It is what happens when the gospel goes to Cornelius' house. They were the church-wide authorities. The difference between the SBC authorities, they were not given that directly from God. But the apostles were. This is seen clearly that when they laid their hands on someone, what took place? The Spirit of God came. So there's a clear dynamic connection between the role and function of the Spirit in the early church and the ministry of the apostles themselves. This is evident in the epistles given to us by God. Think about that. Paul's writing of the 13 epistles and Peter's writing of First and Second Peter. It's penned by the apostles. I want you to see this very interesting passage and we're going to go back to, to this particular text. But 1 Corinthians 14, let me show you this. Therefore, I should hear the pages turning. Let me show you this. 1 Corinthians 14. Notice, again, what are we building on? That the, they were church-wide authorities for doctrine and life. 1 Corinthians 14. Listen to how unique this is. Let's start reading in verse 36 of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Listen. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? Now check this out. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are commanded of the Lord. Uh-oh. And listen to this. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Y'all see how powerful this is? So there's kind of a one-upmanship from Paul, an apostle, to say to a prophet. In other words, Paul is trumping the prophet's authority. And he's saying to them, when I am writing, it is more authoritative than what you are saying. Thus, the prophet nullifies his own ministry if he did not recognize Paul's authority as an apostle. Fifth. They were empowered by the Spirit of God in unique ways and authenticated by signs and wonders. Uh, uh, maybe you know the history of this, but in Corinth, there was a group of people called, they called themselves super apostles. Isn't that sweet? They were super apostles. They were not apostles at all, but they actually thought they were. And Paul's apostleship was being challenged by this group. And he sees the need to defend the fact that he was an apostle given by the Lord. So the gospel, in Paul's perspective, was the plumb line of reference to decide whether he took the gloves off or not. If you started messing with Paul when it came to the gospel, he took the gloves off. But I want you to note this. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. So we're close to 1 Corinthians 14, if you had your finger there. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Good to hear the pages turn. Listen to chapter 12, verse 12. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience. Listen to this. With signs and wonders and mighty works. Hebrews, if you can't get there quick enough, just listen. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord. It was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to God's Will. The point I'm trying to make regarding the issue of unique ways authenticated by signs and wonders is that this was a unique role to them. 
it was a unique role given to the apostles that what they did would be accompanied by signs and wonders. And we see it all the way through the book of Acts. All right, number six. And we don't have to turn anywhere except Ephesians. All right, chapter 2, verse 20. Here's the sixth thing. The apostles were foundational for the building of the church. Chapter 2, verse 20. Listen. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So, the apostles were foundational. Do you all understand that they held a unique, check this out, and an unrepeatable position. It was unique and it was unrepeatable. And it was a role in redemptive history given only to the apostles. Because of that role that they performed, it is not repeated anymore. This is critical for us today. If those apostles, folks, were not in a critical, unique role in redemptive history, then why not listen to Joseph Smith? Are y'all listening? Why not listen to Mary Baker Eddy? If this authoritative message coming from the apostles is not a done deal, then why not listen to all those who claim to be apostles of Christ today? This is why the very first generation after the apostles never ever considered taking to themselves the name apostle, even among the early church fathers. Why? Because they knew full well that this was foundational to the church and would never ever be repeated. Now, were the apostles evangelists? Yes. Were they missionaries? Yes. Did they perform functions of a pastor? You better believe it. Did they teach? Yes, these functions go on. But the office of an apostle was temporary. The gift of the apostles to the church was temporary. We, we still benefit. How? By their role this very morning. Because of the gift of the writings of Scripture. The apostolic witness of writing down. Isn't it a beautiful, wonderful thing to know that we are benefiting by the gifts of the Spirit because you're able to read the Word of God written by the apostles. And we benefit by this gift today. So it is through the apostolic word, the New Testament, that we are gifted. And we now possess and profit from these gifts because we hold in our hands the New Covenant Scriptures. Praise God for that. All right, that was first. Apostles. How do you like that gift? Well, in large part, it's the Word of God that has been given to you. Number two, prophets. Now, does this need to be understood today? You better believe it. A parallel to New Testament prophets would not be given to you as an Old Testament prophet. What would the Old Testament prophet actually be more like in the New Testament? The apostles. Okay? So, Tuck that away first. The Old Testament prophets, they did speak with the infallible and authoritative, thus saith the Lord. The only ones in the New Testament to speak like that were the apostles. So prophets were also vehicles of divine revelation. Although they were always subordinate to the apostles. Prophets were this vehicle. And so as you study the book of Acts and 1 Corinthians, we find that these prophets were in fact channels of divine revelation. Revelation. They were given revelation by God to the church. And here's the deal. For a particular purpose. The other task was in edification of exhortation. In other words, they preached. They did. There were prophets who gave divine revelation as given to God for the church at that particular time. But the primary goal was to actually Bring the word and the message. Let me show you a passage that brings both of them together. 1 Corinthians 14. We've already been there, right? Uh, not new ground. Just go back there in the same text, really. 1 Corinthians 14, 29 through 31. Both, both parts of a prophet. Okay, watch this. Verse 29. I'm going to start, yes, verse 29 is fine. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, 
Let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets, check this out, are subject to the prophets. Is that ever said of an apostle? No, it's not. But the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So let's say that we have three prophets back in the day. One is actually teaching God's word for the sake of edification. Another has a revelation given from God. Who has the priority? Well, that one does. The other one is supposed to stop speaking and listen for the exhortation. He's to sit down and let the one with the revelation come up and give the revelation. Then Paul says the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. In other words, don't let it be chaotic, but let it be in order. So the role of the prophet in the New Testament was primarily that of exhortation. Thus Paul says the church is built upon the foundation Check this out, of the apostles and the prophets. Here's what John Stott says about the uniqueness of the prophets. You ready? Listen. As the foundation on which the church is being built, the prophets also have no successors any more than the apostles have. For the foundation was laid and finished centuries ago, and we cannot tamper with it. So here's what I want to tell you. In a formal sense... With prophet Big P, if I can say it that way, as a channel of divine revelation, that was a temporary office. A prophet Big P, as getting divine revelation directly from God to speak to the assembly, is and was temporary. When the complete and the sufficient word of God came to the church, it rendered further direct divine revelation unnecessary. I got an amen. Got it, that's right. Yes. It rendered it absolutely unnecessary. Now, I do believe in a type of subsidiary gift of profit with a small p. All right? We go big P, temporary. In the initial foundation of the church, no longer. But a small p, subsidiary gift, it's not one of direct divine revelation. Let me say that one more time. It is not one of direct divine revelation. I think it is a God-given gift for peculiar insight in society and into culture. They are able to diagnose and apply the word of God in pertinent ways that goes beyond the necessary or the basic teaching ministry of the church. You ever know anybody like that? Now, I know this is totally subjective, right? And I'm not necessarily saying to you that the ones I'm about to, give you, about to give you are the best. But I know full well that these two gentlemen spoke to our generation and they lived a long time ago. And that's not an accident. The first one was A.W. Tozer. That guy was a prophet, small p. He wasn't getting divine revelation, but he had insight. This man had concerns for the church that goes back to the 50s and 60s. And they didn't come to fruition until the 80s. And yet he was warning the church about the same things that we went through. And I read Tozer, I'm like, that's unbelievable. I'm talking the same exact things that we're facing in the 80s and the 90s. It was exactly what A.W. Tozer saw coming down the pike. And he warned us of it. I know that, again, this is totally subjective. But let me give you another one. Francis Schaeffer. If you've ever read this guy, he brought the word of God to bear in amazing ways upon societal issues. You know, I love Schaeffer. Why? Because Dr. Schaeffer not only evangelized young, curious minds, college students. Can we take that today? The evangelization of college students. But he also was a man who spoke poignantly to the culture. He spoke truth. He came out with his great work called The Great Evangelical Disaster. I want to tell you folks, in many ways you're living in it today. And he wrote about it years ago. And here's what he said. Evangelical church better wake up. Churches better wake up. And he said this in the 70s and 80s. This inerrancy debate of whether the word of God is the word of God and only his word, and sufficient for all of life and practice. In other words, it's infallible and inerrant. 
he said to us, Southern Baptist, you better listen. This is not an intramural exercise. He said, actually, this is a watershed issue. And if we don't get this right, the church will be awash in pragmatism. We are here. It's been that way for years. The church thinks more about pragmatic ways to draw a crowd than preaching thus saith the Lord. And Schaefer said it back then. He said, you better think about this. He was dead right. So God does gift his church with those who have peculiar insight and gifts. Prophet, small p, yet prophet, capital P, belongs to the foundation of the church. Why? Because we have this. We have the word of God. All right? Evangelists. Y'all are doing so good. We all know what this category is because we have a TV. Isn't that awesome? We have a TV. And we know TV evangelists. Now, it's interesting. I'm still in 1 Corinthians. Let me get back to Ephesians. Evangelists is a noun here. Okay? To preach, euangelion, to preach the gospel is a verb. Same word. Evangelists... Three times in the Bible, that's it. The verb is used a multiplicity of times in the New Testament. But if I say to you, who fits the role of an evangelist, what would you say? Billy Graham, right? And if you were, uh, some of you, no, you're not, there's no way. You would have said D.L. Moody before Billy Graham. I was kind of thinking about some of your ages. Now, I think Mr. Jack. You were close back there, right, Mr. Jack? Mr. Jack's 90 right now. He'll be 91 this year. That guy's going to be on TV at 105, like, you know, on Fox News. Just wait. But, but anyway, I don't think Jack, you ever heard D.L. Moody preach, did you? No, he's not that old. But here's the deal. You, you go back even further, a century before, who did you have? You had George Whitfield. And again, the noun evangelist is only used three times here. Ephesians 4, Acts 21, 8, regarding, who is this? An evangelist in the Bible, Philip the evangelist. And then the other is 2 Timothy 4, 5, where Paul is instructing a pastor teacher. And he says, do the work of an evangelist. So three times. And again, the verb is translated to preach the gospel. It's used over and over again. Let me show you one so you can put your eyes on the, a text of Scripture that actually shows Paul saying it. 1 Corinthians 1.17. Just listen. Here's what he says. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Okay? There's the verb to preach the gospel. Now, when we think about evangelists, this is the last one we're going to see today. Okay? Just evangelists. Y'all ready? When you think about the word evangelist and you think about the Bible and what it says... The first thing I would like to tell you is that that would be that of a missionary. An evangelist would be that of a missionary. Philip is engaged in missionary activity in Acts chapter 8. Why is Philip even in Samaria? Persecution. And that was the, it was the crucible of persecution that pushed the church further to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. God had to send the persecution in order for the gospel to move out of Jerusalem and to go to the ends of the earth. But here's Philip, and he's in Samaria, and he's there to preach the gospel. He preaches to the Samaritans, and they respond, and the role of an evangelist is the role of a missionary. That's exactly what he is doing. Did Paul do the work of an evangelist? You better believe it. If you study the Bible, there's not one. There's not two, but there's three missionary journeys of Paul. How many have ever tracked those missionary journeys? Raise your hand. It's, it's usually in most study Bibles. It tells you, well, Paul did the work of an evangelist. Okay? Second, not just the missionary work, but the role of a church planter. The role of a church planter. Paul preaches the gospel in Corinth, and guess what happens? A church is established. In fact, this was Paul's pattern of ministry. Does this happen in Samaria after Philip preaches the gospel? Yep, they called Nashville. They got a hold of one of the reps. They said, you better go over there to Samaria. 
No, it's an apostle that comes to Samaria and a church is planted. So the gospel is always preached with a view of starting churches. Have we gotten away from that as Baptists? In many ways we have. Does our church need to engage more in taking the gospel to unreached people groups like in Vietnam? Yes, you better believe it. Missionary activities should be gospel-oriented with a view of planting churches. The evangelist was different in that he was not a vehicle of divine revelation. Yet, folks, think about how critical he was, that particular office, with churches being established where they were not before. I would say that the gift office of evangelists exists today most clearly in church planting missionaries who go to other areas where a church is needed and where the gospel is needed. Here's the deal. They preach the gospel and the gospel births a church. They preach the gospel and the gospel births a church. The evangelist takes the revelation already given to us and the gospel that we've been given, the ministry of reconciliation, he preaches it. Now I'll ask you a question. Is this gift restricted to the mission field? Well, Paul tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist in our other texts. And he's already in a church that's been established called Ephesus. Now think about church planners. Think about those who are in the community sharing the, the gospel. Whether it's the gift of, of evangelism, by the way... Nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to have the gift of evangelism in order to tell somebody about Jesus. So don't use that as an excuse, right? We're all given a command to make disciples. All of us are given that. But here's the deal. Not only does the work of an evangelist need to be done in church planting, but the work of an evangelist needs to be done in the church. We, we forget this. The church needs the gospel, folks. There will always be unconverted people in the church. There will always be those who come to church and sit year after year after year after year and they don't know Christ. We are called by God as pastors to do the work of an evangelist right here on Sunday mornings. Every time the word of God is preached in this pulpit, we are in a sense doing the work of an evangelist. The church needs the gospel. We all need the gospel. Just because we come in here and sit doesn't mean everybody is saved. Here's the reality. We have children who are unbelievers who need the gospel. Amen? Children of believers are lost without the gospel. They must believe the gospel. We preach the gospel so that our children will hear and be saved. Big people! Well, I need to be careful saying that, don't I? Adults need the gospel, don't we? We need to hear that God sent forth his son into the world to save sinners. You need to hear the gospel and embrace it. Lost sinners need one thing and one thing only, and that's the gospel. And the Bible says it's the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. So as the church, we proclaim the gospel. Christians need the gospel. You need it today as much as you did, it, did the day you were converted. Folks, we never, ever, ever move past the gospel. As a matter of fact, John 3, 16. Pestuo ace. You believe into Christ and his present tense. And people say, well, I took care of that alone. We're starting visitation in March. And here's what we'll do. We'll knock on the door. And I guarantee you there'll be somebody that will say, I don't need the church, preacher. As a matter of fact, I took care of that Christian thing 30 years ago. But if you're not taking care of it today, you didn't take care of it then. I can promise you that. We are in the mode of being saved. And we're in the mode, yes, it was instantaneous in the beginning. But if there's not the fruit of repentance in your life today and a desire to walk with Jesus and live the gospel, I'm telling you, you didn't learn it then. If you don't have it now, you didn't learn it then. So, we need the gospel in the church. The work of an evangelist is to be done in the context of the church. And I hope the older you get, the more you realize how really rotten you were. And when the cross comes into focus, we say, Father, show me what I am so that I might love the cross even 
more. And one of the functions of an elder, I don't know how many elders we have in this church. We're going to figure that out. But one of the functions of an elder is to proclaim the gospel. And I want to remind you, you're also a sinner. And you were also lost. And you needed Christ. You were outside of God's grace. You were an enemy of God. And the law of God thundered loudly against your sin. And before you can ever embrace the good news, you must see that there is a just and holy God in heaven who demands perfection from all of us. And guess what? We're not perfect. We sin and fail miserably. But there was one who is and was absolutely perfect and lived the law of God without sin and went out without failure. And that's the one that became a ransom to pay us, pay the penalty for our sin. He's the one who did it. He's the one who made propitiation for our sins. So those who are not robed in the righteousness of Christ will stand before the judgment bar of God one day and it will be everlastingly too late. You need the righteousness of Jesus. And then God the Father. Uh, I love this. I worked on this this week. John 3.16. Here's Philip's translation. And then God the Father loved all human beings to such an extent that he actually sent his one and only son into the world and then he gave him over to death. So that everyone without distinction or without exception who places trust in Jesus may now and in the hereafter experience eternal life and not suffer God's wrath and thus be lost. Aren't you thankful for the gospel? Jesus has not left his body as a poor, destitute bride. He's given us everything that we need to be a healthy church. Apostles, Prophets, evangelists. We need the gospel, ladies and gentlemen, every single day. May the Lord Jesus, the head of the church, be forever praised for apostles, prophets, and evangelists. Next week, we'll talk about pastor, teacher. How are you with the gospel, folks? Maybe you've been here a long, long time. You, you've, you're a member of the church. But you're not a member of the family of God. That's highly possible. Especially in our day. You need to trust Christ today. The Bible says whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How about church members? Just, just stop long enough to think about what a great gift we've been given in this book. It's, it, it's, it's apostolic teaching. Right? What a gift. With, with prophets uh, of, of what they did in the word of God in that time frame of divine revelation before this was complete for God to get his message to the people. And then thank God for the prophets we have small p today like an A.W. Tozer or Francis Schaeffer who lived before us and the work of an evangelist. Amen? The noun... There are people in this church who are gifted with it. But all of us, in some form or fashion, are called to do the work of an evangelist. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. I know this is a little bit difficult because these, these principles are certainly foreign to our uh, 2022 way of thinking. Uh, Lord, for us to stop long enough to consider that we've been given gifts and these gifts are people. Lord, we're so prone to think, oh, it's ministries. It's the next thing we can do as a church, the next program. Lord, you've given us everything we need with apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers for the growth and maturity of this body. God, help us remember that. Father, would you move in the heart of a sinner today to recognize you without a veil, totally seeing Jesus for all of his glory and worth and beauty. And Lord, when that happens, we will trust you. Lord, would you do that? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Brother David's going to lead us.
upon your heart and mind and spirit to make a commitment. Maybe it's a promise you need to claim. Maybe it's a sin you need to confess. Whatever that might be, you let the Lord God lead you. Altar is open. Let's sing. Do we have, take, yes, take my will. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer thine. Take my heart Praise the Lord. Uh, Chuck and Leslie made sure I understood that it was woods. Yeah, out in the wood, right? He, he said something about outdoors. I'm like, yes, I got it, woods, yes. <laughs> Chuck and Leslie, they've been visiting for probably a year. And they uh, ha- are in a Sunday school class, and they've also attended the new members' uh, teaching those four weeks. And so uh, here they stand before you to tell you they want to be members of First Baptist Church Ozark. All right, and we welcome them. You gonna say something? Okay. She doesn't preach. Amen. I th- she started to say something. She said it's official, and what a blessing to to want to be a member of the church and join it. Amen. So Chuck and Leslie, I have you go back there with Don. All right. I see uh, Noah standing up there. Y'all know Noah Tucker? That guy's on TV. Did y'all know that? I mean, I was like, that's one of ours, and he's down there in Harrison on the news. Anyway, well, they did a good job. I'm, I, you know what? God needs to put his people everywhere in strategic places. So pray for our brothers and sisters that are in those places of service, that they can be a light in a very dark world. Amen. To God be the glory. Let's, uh, let me pray, and then we'll have a song and be dismissed. No service tonight, but we're back on next Sunday night. Okay, Lord's Supper. And we want to also give you some information about how we're going to, our schedule will change in March. Okay? Great God, thank you for your word and how you've spoken to our hearts today. Lord, may the gospel run. May it accomplish its purposes. We know that your word will not return void. It will accomplish what it was sent to accomplish. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing that chorus we just learned. Toiling on.